Good morning and welcome. My name's Adam. I like this time. I've become used to it. This is still unusual, the online world that we've been in. But this is still a special time. This is a special moment. For many of us, we read our Bible and pray throughout the week, but there's something about putting aside time to be intentional in worship and prayer and in looking at the scriptures together. So thank you for joining us again. This year, we have seen so much change, almost certainly too much change for one year. Last week, I introduced this two-week series I'm looking at on the subject of change and the title that I am calling here. And this is a title that I'm not convinced I like, but it feels fitting, is Change is Here to Stay. This week is part two. Change is here to stay. Now, I know that change does things to us. It excites us and it, oh, we don't want that. It, it has an opposite effect too. Here's an analogy that's probably known to you. Have you ever been to a grocery store? And it may be the store that you know. You may go there frequently. This may be your go-to shop for food or drink or, or whatever. And you go to the shop that you know. And you go to the aisle where you know you're going to find a certain product, but it isn't there. And all the products have been changed. They've been moved around the shop. And the thing that you know is on aisle four isn't on aisle four. Everything's been moved. How do you feel in that moment? If you're anything like me, it's annoying. It's really annoying because you're like, I got to know this shop. I come here every week and suddenly everything's been moved. I know why businesses do that. You have to go looking for it, and on your way, you find other things and spend more money. I understand the business decision behind it, but it's annoying. Change can do that. Equally, sometimes we see a new beginning and a new opportunity, and change is exciting. We see potential. We see possibility. Often, what we were seeing, which felt like, sometimes quite dull and predictable, is blown wide open. And the idea of change is exciting. Change is, I've got some words here, it is exciting. It is exciting, wonderful, and inspiring. Change can be all of those things. Change can also be frightening, unnerving, and uncomfortable. All of those words are fitting a change. But what change will always be is inevitable, unavoidable, and part of God's created order. We can't dodge it. So last week I asked the question, what does the Bible teach us about how do we navigate change well? And we looked at these words, these ideas that we need to be people who have trust in God, that we need to be open to change, and we need to be obedient in change. As God leads us, we need to be obedient to walk in it, not resist. Today, I want to look at it some more, and I want to ask some questions. And the person that we're looking to for wisdom by teaching, by his life, by who he is, is Jesus. I want to ask the question, how did Jesus deal with change? And importantly, what can we learn from the person of Jesus, from his example, his words, his actions. How did Jesus navigate change and what can we learn from Jesus? 
we're going to look at six healing miracles. I'm going to put the passages on the screen. For those of you that like to take notes, you can write them down and look at them again. We're going to look at six healing miracles of Jesus. And the question that I want to ask or what I want to ask you to do is look, notice. What do you see? What's going on? What do you notice in these six miracles? So let's jump in on the first one. We're in the book of John. John 4, verse 43 to 54. Let's read this together and see what we see. What's going on? John 4, verse 43 to 54. Says this. After two days, he, as in Jesus, left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own town, in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They'd seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the, then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea in Galilee. So in this miracle, Jesus is in a town and the son who's sick is in another town. If you want to study the geography of this story, there's 16 miles between the two locations. Jesus isn't even in the same town, but he says, go, your son will live. Jesus gives the word. And then there's this later conversation with the father of the sick boy with his servants. He said, what time did this happen? They said it was yesterday at this time, the exact moment where Jesus said, go, he's going to live. He's going to be okay. Incredible healing miracle, 16 miles distance. Second miracle we're going to look at, the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, Matthew 8, verse 14 to 15. It's a shorter passage. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. In this story, Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever and Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her. Amazing. Next healing miracle, Luke 5. I'm going to go through these quickly, but keep looking. What are you noticing? Luke 5, verse 12 to 14 says this, when Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. 
When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. The news about him spread. In this story, in this moment, there's a man with leprosy, which in the society of the day would have meant he was an outcast. He was unclean. No one went near him. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and embraced him and welcomed someone that nobody else was welcoming. And at the same time that he touched him, he said, be clean. So in this miracle, this person is healed by Jesus' touch and Jesus' words, be clean. Mark 6, second book in the New Testament, Mark 6, we're going to look at two Mark passages. Mark 6, 53 to 56 says this, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gesenaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Amazing. In this series of healing miracles, people are touching Jesus' garment as he's walking past. They're touching his clothing and they're being healed. Mark 7, 31 to 37, probably the same page if you've got your Bible open at this passage. Let's look at this healing miracle. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hands on him and heal him. After he... As Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, he said, Ethatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed and amazed. In this unique story of healing, Jesus puts his hands in the man's ears. He touches his tongue. He spits and touches his tongue. And then he says, be opened. And then lastly, Luke 17, verse 11 to 14 the last of the healing miracles that I'm looking at today. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go 
show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. In this healing miracle, as they went, they were healed. Six miracles, all different. What do we see? Let me explain, add some details. In the first miracle, Jesus gives a word. He's not even in the same town. He's 16 miles away. He gives a word and the person's healed. In the second miracle, Jesus touches the lady's hand and she's healed. In the third miracle, Jesus touches someone and speaks at the same time, be healed. In the fourth miracle, people are just touching his garment, his clothes, his shirt, and they're healed. In the fifth miracle, Jesus is putting his fingers in his person's ears and spitting and touching their tongue and the person's healed. And then in the last miracle, the sixth one that I've read today, as they walk along the road, they're healed as they walk. What do we see? They are all different. They are all varied. There is no rule book. If you were studying, if you were traveling with Jesus and you were studying the, studying the way he was ministering and healing people to write it down, there is no blueprint. Every single one of them is different. They're always changing. Change just keeps happening and Jesus is effective in all of it. There is no blueprint. So what do we learn? What do we see in the variety and the diversity and in the ease of which Jesus seems to operate with change? We learn that change happens and is going to happen and God is effective in all of it. So often for us, we want to find the recipe. We want to find the model, the blueprint. And then once we found it, we will copy and paste it and duplicate it. And if anyone strays from it or does something slightly different, we will highlight that as wrong. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is comfortable in change. So, Jesus was open to change, but there is a consistency in all of these miracles. There is a consistency in all six of the stories that I've told you today. The consistency is this. The miracles were signs. And a sign, by definition, is pointing to something else. If you want to go to Boston and you're on Route 24 and you see the sign that says Boston 20 miles away. The sign isn't Boston. The sign is pointing somewhere. The miracles are like that. They are a sign. They're wonderful, but they in themselves are pointing to something that's more important. And in the context of Jesus. They're pointing to Jesus, who he is, who he was, who he is, who he will be. He is the savior. He is God's son. He is ever present. They're pointing somewhere. So in these miracles, we see the consistency that Jesus is comfortable in change. And yet the consistency is Jesus. So you need to be open to change. I need to be open to change. 
We need to be open to change. And at the same time, we need to be consistent with Jesus. We need to be consistent with Jesus. We can't stray from that. We need to be consistent with Jesus because sometimes change is disturbing. Sometimes change is upsetting. Sometimes change is a storm that we have to go through. A few years ago, my brother passed away. And it was a change that I did not want. I did not welcome. I still don't. And it was a storm. And I had all of the emotions of anger and confusion and struggle and disbelief and unanswerable questions. I originate from England and we're taught sometimes to keep calm and carry on and we're taught to stay strong. And I've learned that actually that's really bad advice. And sometimes to be effective in change, we have to recognize it for what it is. We have to name it. We have to identify it. We have to talk about it. We have to express it. We can't hide it away. By doing so, uh, it enables us to process, to understand, and to go through all the emotions. We have to Name it. And change sometimes is like a storm that you can't dodge. You have to recognize I'm in a storm and it looks like this. But the other thing that you need to do, I made the comment we need to be consistent with Jesus. We need to set our gaze on Jesus in storms which do happen, which will happen again. We have to maintain our gaze on Jesus who is consistent, who is both able to be effective during change and not rigid to a pattern that has to be like this. But by his consistency, by his ever presence with us, we have to be consistent with Jesus in storms because storms are going to happen. Change sometimes feels like storms. Be consistent with Jesus, especially during the storms. Tommy made the announcement that for some of us, we're going to be meeting in person for church. As we've said all along, we know that for some people, that's not the right fit. And we are going to be sustaining and reinvesting in our online connectivity at the same time that we're bringing some in-person gatherings. We're trying to do both. As a church, some of those changes we don't really like. We're going to have to pre-register. We're going to have to wear masks. We're going to have a smaller attendance and we're going to have these gaps between chairs. And we don't really like that change, but it's what we have to do in the current time. And our objective is to create a great safe space for people to gather. So we're going to do that because we want to provide a great space. But it's a change that I'm not really a fan of some of those things that we have to do. But there's other changes that are both exciting and speak of possibility. And as this year ends and we move into the next one as a church, I'm really excited for what God is doing and is going to do. I'm really excited by some of the ideas, some of the regional prayer activities, some of the focus that we're having in that direction. And there's some things that are coming up as a church that are really exciting changes. I want to tell you some of my musings. I'm going to read to you some of my notes from some of my journals. 
as I've been praying and preparing for this new year, this next year, what is God doing? What changes do we need to make? I'm going to let you in on some of my some of my thoughts. These are some one-liners that I've written down. Some of them have been things that God's spoken to me about and I've written down. Some of them have been extracts that I've read, quotes from other people. I want to read these to you. On the subject of change and in the context of the local church. We must come before God with an open heart and an open mind, allowing him to weigh our motives and readiness to move and to change with him. God may be calling us out of that space and telling us to move into a wider territory. We should remember, though, that though the primary image here is stretching, stretching can be painful and costly. I love this quote. The missionary pioneer James Hudson Taylor said, change can be broken down into the categories of impossible, difficult and done. We have to be open to release what we are carrying to receive something new. If you've tried to carry lots of grocery bags from the car into your house and your hands are full, you can't take anything else. You can't carry anything else. Sometimes we have to put some things down before we can pick something new up. That's part of change. To be effective in change, we have to have some consistencies. We cannot and should not change everything at the same time. We have to have some consistencies so we could be effective in change. There's a Chinese proverb that says, Be not afraid of going slow. Be only afraid of standing still. Change doesn't always happen all at once. Change is like a new idea. It takes formation, process, planning, and then delivery. Let me tell you a story. Many years ago when Sarah and I were early married, we visited Sarah's family in Pennsylvania. Sarah's my wife. And there was a heavy snowstorm, and we had the idea of let's build a giant snowman. Their house is on a hill. and We thought we'll build this giant snowman uh, towards the bottom of the hill, and it would stand at the front of the house, and it would look great. So we had this idea, and we talked about it, and we worked together. And I'll show you a photo. This is it on the screen. Giant snowman. The main body was really big. Let me tell you the story of how we, how we made that. It began, step one, we've got a snowball, and it's small, and we squeeze it together. Our hands are kind of cold and wet. And then step two, we, we gather more snow around it and we move it into a mold. And then the next step, we, we start to push that mold with the view that it will gather more snow, but it often cracks. So we're, we're reforming it and pushing it back together. And then the next step, we, we push it again. And this time it begins to stay together and picks up some snow. Uh, we've still got really cold hands. And then the next step, we're, we're pushing it again. And it's building more snow and it's growing and it's evolving, but it's still taking time. My hands are still cold. And then the next step, uh, we both need to push it because it's getting bigger. 
and it's beginning to take the right shape that we're looking for. And then the next step, there is this beginning where gravity is starting to help us, where it's hard to push, but as we push it, it kind of rolls on itself on the second half and begins to gather. And then the next step, as we're moving down this hill, it, it, it's harder at first to push, but when you get it moving, it instantly grows and builds and takes shape and takes form. And then it leads to this snowman with this massive big ball. Let me tell you something about the story in the context of change. It takes time. It takes teamwork. The stage where we start having momentum and it starts building, that's like, the, that's like stage 10, step 10. And throughout all those other stages, we've got cold, wet hands along the way. Change and new ideas and new possibilities often look like that where we get cold hands and we need each other to help. And that momentum building stage when it all comes together, that happens way down the road. We need to recognize the processes that are needed in change. And sometimes we don't see how this is going to work. Sometimes the idea of a new idea or of a new change, we think that's a really strange idea. Do we really need that? Why are we doing that? Sometimes change doesn't make sense. Sometimes Jesus' ideas don't make sense. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus appears to his disciples and they're fishing unsuccessfully. And Jesus tells them to throw the net on the other side of the boat. In this story, they do that. They pull in the nets on one side of the boat and they throw the net on the other side of the boat and they catch so many fish. And this is an incredible story where they realize this is a divine miracle. This is an act of God. This is a sign. And the sign is pointing to Jesus. It's an incredible story. Let's just pause for a moment. This story makes no sense. The idea of changing the net from one side to the other side is a really weird idea. This is why. Jesus' followers were fishermen. That was their trade before they gave up everything to follow Jesus in his ministry and to learn alongside him and to do the same. And they grew up fishing. We know that for, for many of them, it was their father's business. They grew up in this trade. They knew how to fish. They knew the waters. They knew the right tide, the right times, the right techniques. And if you're in a boat and you're floating and you're fishing on one side, the casting the net on the other side makes no sense because the water that's on your right side, if you're on a boat and you're floating and you're moving around, 10 seconds ago was the water that was on your left side. So the idea of change from one side to the other side makes no sense. Sometimes change, even change that Jesus is leading and instigating, doesn't make a lot of sense, but keep trusting Jesus because often he's doing something that's beyond our understanding. And I don't want our rigidity to prevent what God might want to do next. Be open to Jesus. William Carey, the missionary minister and social reformer, said this, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter.
Let me say that again. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. My prayer, my hope for us as a church as we move out of this year into the next year is God grant us, and I wrote this down, discernment so that we may see that which really matters and give ourselves wholeheartedly to it. So often, urgent is the enemy of important. So in concluding, how do we navigate change? Maintain your focus on Jesus. And sometimes the change will be exciting. New possibility, new idea, new space, new territory. At other times, change will feel like a storm, like a loss, like an event that you did not want to happen. In all of change, may we maintain our focus on Jesus who is effective in all seasons, who is effective in all moments, who is ever-present. If this idea of putting your focus on Jesus is new to you, may I encourage you to pray. For some people, it may be a new prayer. Jesus, I want to know you. Show yourself to me. For many of us who know and love God, we've been believing in Jesus for a long time. May I encourage you to renew your focus on Jesus. That's how we will navigate change. That's how we'll be effective. That's how we will know the difference between the important from the unnecessary. May we be in tune with what God is doing, even if at times we don't understand it. And may we move into the new change, into the new territories, with our focus ever on Jesus. Let's pray. If you're comfortable, why don't you open your hands, open your arms. This is a posture where we say, God, I'm open to you. We looked last week that to be effective in change, we need to be open. Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, help us to be effective in change. Help us to know that you are always with us. Help us to be obedient. Help us to maintain our focus on Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. I hope you have a really good rest. I'm aware that many of us aren't going to have crowds in our homes, and that's the right approach at this time. But I hope you have a really good Thanksgiving. Thank you for being with us today. If you've got any questions or comments of something that was said, it may be an announcement you've got a question, or it may be something that I've said as we've looked at these passages together. If you would like to talk to someone who you'd like prayer, if you're watching on Facebook, write something in the comments and we'll follow up with you. If you're watching online, send us an email, office at sscma.com. We miss you. We love you. We're glad that you are with us today. Have a great week.